That's your guy, Tim Unglesby, along with Angel here in Las Vegas. And all the way, all the way on the other side of the country, TomBartonSports.com's own Mr. Tom Barton, who correctly identified now 13 years coming up, Tommy, on the radio airwaves here in Las Vegas. Tim and Tom, we are the longest-running show on the Vegas airwaves. That that You could say that some guys may have been around longer, but as an actual show with the same crew and characters, that's us, Tom, Heat Wave Sports. Tim, it's almost a Hall of Fame resume-worthy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We are, are are we building the resume enough? Uh, we got about seven years left. I think we're building the resume. I think we're like what 65 percent there, right? So yeah, hey, that's pretty good. We'll be old and gray, <laughs> but we'll be there. Hey, man, that's why they make hair dye, and uh, I don't know about the old part. You really can't change that, can you? So no, I don't. I don't think you can change us <laughs> being old and yelling at clouds, as they say, <laughs> Simpson style, right, sir? But I will say this. Hey, look, for as old and yelling at clouds as we are, we've not done a lot of complaining about Taylor Swift. So because we don't no, care. No, we don't. We don't really care at all. And that we, I'll let you know, everybody last, else explain that. Last night I got a couple of uh, texts and a couple of tweets from people that said, I didn't even know. I didn't even really know who she was. Like I heard the name, but I couldn't pick out a song. <laughs> I know her because I like country music and I used to like her from our country days. But, um, yeah, I had a couple of people say that. And I, I told Abby that tonight. And I said, and she said, well, that's ridiculous. Everybody knows who Taylor Swift is. I said, no, people in, in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who are listening to sports talk in Las Vegas at 10 o'clock p.m. probably can't name a song that she sings. Yeah. It's but, all about demographics, man. But she made Travis Kelsey a household name, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, like I said, I actually feel bad for her because most of the hatred that is coming down, and there's a lot of hatred coming down for her. It's not her fault. It's because we just don't like Travis Kelsey. And we've seen it happen with Tony Romo and Jessica Simpson because people yep. don't like Tony Romo. We watched yep. it happen with J-Lo and A-Rod. Um, it's not a new phenomenon. If, if you're a popular woman and you get attached to an athlete that people generally don't like, I mean, Travis Kelsey is an unlikable guy. And now he, he's a guy that you just generally don't like, you're going to root against him. When Derek Jeter had Jessica Alba in the stands, nobody batted an eye because Jeter's a likable guy. You know what I mean? But when you have A-Rod and Travis Kelsey, guys that are just jerks generally, but you 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 attach yourself to them and what happens? Eh, you're going to be an unlikable person. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that sentiment. What are Tim and Tom going to do tonight? Well, we're going to, again, we have to step in and apologize for last night as the uh, – Technical situation only allowed us to be on from the 10 to 11 hour. So we're going to talk about what we were going to talk about in the 11 to 12 hour. And then maybe brush up on the uh, the NFL stuff again. Because really nothing happened today other than that atrocity of what they call the Pro Bowl. But we've been through this and done done that many, many times, Tom. There's nothing to talk about there. So I uh, will start out by saying, and this is not a top story to begin the show. But it did come down the, the pathway here a couple hours ago that... Cliff Kingsbury decided that Washington, Tommy, is where he wants to be the OC, not Las Vegas. So how do you look at this hiring in that? How did Vegas uh, screw that up, number one? Or is it a blessing that Cliff Kingsbury is not coming to Vegas? How do you see it? Well, you know my feelings on Cliff Kingsbury. I, I've been very adamant 
from his time in college. I think he's a bad college coach. I thought he was going to be a bad pro coach. I think he's a child that is trying to be a man. (laughs) I mean, generally, that's what it is. You can say, well, he's a player's coach. No, no, no. Um, This is a guy that had the entire organization trade up for Kyler Murray. Look at what he did with it. He didn't win at the college level. He didn't win at the pro level. With that being said, he's now older. He's now more mature, presumably. He's also only an offensive coordinator, and he's got a lot to prove. I think it's a good hire by Washington. I think it's a great hire by Washington if they're going to go now make a move for Caleb Williams. Caleb mm-hmm. Williams, who is very heavily recruited by Kingsbury. He coached King, uh, by Kingsbury. That connection surely there. And I think that there's got to be something to it. We mentioned Washington last night. I keep hearing Washington, Washington, Washington. They're going to make that big move. And we did mention, you know, I didn't like the hire, but they had to go out there and get a dynamic offensive coordinator. Well, Kingsbury might not be dynamic, but maybe he's the guy that Williams wants to work with. And that's why he turned down the Raiders job. I mean, why would you turn down the Raiders job to go to Washington if you weren't assured of working with a better quarterback? This is a guy that maybe Kingsbury on his last his last legs, right? He might be one of those guys that if he does well here, maybe he gets another shot as a head coach, but he's got to prove himself. Do you want to go to the Raiders if you don't believe that they're going to trade up and go get one of the big three? Or do you want to go to Washington where you go, hey, look, I have insight to Williams coming there, and I know this guy could put me back on the map. Yeah, you've always said that you thought Cliff Kingsbury was out of his element as a head coach. But as far as a quarterback's coach, right, Tom, or an offensive coordinator that he did have, he was blessed with great quarterbacks in his coaching career, right, the the Mayfields and the Mahomes and the Murrays and the Caleb Williams last year at USC. So so if there is that connection, and you're right, Washington is in the prime position that they could acquire Caleb Williams in the draft, why not do it? I think that um, what I heard, and my sources are not 100% correct, Tom, but what I heard was it came to dollars and cents here in Las Vegas, and that essentially they uh, they stiffed him and what he figured, thought he should make. And that, that was the... the finding factor of him turning it down and once Washington had heard that they made the offer right away and then he signed today so it wasn't a long uh, thought out discussion process for Washington they went and got him yeah I don't buy that <laughs> I'm just saying I don't buy I have no inside information no? Okay. <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury is a, a guy that didn't have a job right I mean there's not a lot of offensive coordinator jobs that are, are going on right now most staffs are pretty much set, right? Um, he didn't have a job. You think he was just willing to just not have a job this year? Maybe go back to college? Maybe. Yeah. You think he was willing to take a step backwards? No. Kingsbury was saying to himself, I'm going to weigh my options. You don't t- turn down the Raiders job and then, oh, Washington happens to call you? Are we really that naive to believe that? No. He knew Washington's job was there. He knew the Raiders' job was there. Maybe it was because of money. Maybe because Kingsbury said, listen, I'm going to go try to get them to draft uh, Williams over there. And Williams is my guy. Are you guys moving up? No, you're not. Okay. Well, if I got to work with a a has-been quarterback and a second-rate guy, um, well, then you better pay me more than they're going to pay me. I mean, I could see those negotiations going on. But there's no way that you have me believe that Cliff Kingsbury was just like, okay, I just won't work this year as an offensive coordinator in the NFL for a pro team. I just, I just, I'm just going to not work this year. 
Um, because I, 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 you guys aren't paying me what I think I'm worth. Yeah, come on, stop, stop. He has to build. You know what he is? He's a failed head coach. He's a failed college coach that put all his eggs in the basket for a rookie quarterback that generally did not pan out. That's what happened. He submarined the franchise. How do you build that reputation back up? You don't build that reputation back up by going to a place that is a kind of plug and play. You, know, you go to that. You go to that place. You take an exceptional quarterback, make him generational or at the very least playoff caliber MVP level type of quarterback, and people go, you know what? Arizona's a little screwed up. Eh, maybe we gave him a hard time. That's how you build your resume back. And he could have done it with the Raiders. If the Raiders said, look, we're going to trade into the top three. We're going to get go get one of these guys, right? Um, or maybe they said, look, we're going to get a quarterback in the, in the first round. We're going to get a quarterback in, inside like the top 10, but it might not be one of the top three. Kingsbury's got to say, ah, you know what? If I fail twice at developing a quarterback, my job's on the line. There's no way you can make me believe that it was purely, oh, Washington just called randomly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that Cliff Kingsbury is a smart guy in the fact that he knows that even if it's in Caleb Williams, Tommy, that he would rather work with Sam Howell than Aiden O'Connell. Think about that, right? Yeah, I, <laughs> there's no way. Well, I, I shouldn't say no way because we've seen Raiders' choices. But I would say that there's no way that the season starts with either one of them being the, the starting quarterback, right? The starting quarterback for the Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Oakland Raiders. <laughs> I know everybody gets mad when I do that. But the starting quarterback for the Raiders is not on the roster. I, I mean, it's just that simple. He's not there now. They have to go and, and draft someone. And you, you have a number. I told you, I'm reading as many as six guys could go in the top 10. You have um, the opportunity to go and get someone. But if you have that opportunity, then you have to go and really make it count, don't you? Look, Vegas is sitting at 13 guys, right? The Bears are one. Let's say they take a quarterback. Okay, I don't even know if they will, but let's say they take a quarterback. Washington is going to take a quarterback. That's two. New England's going to take a quarterback. That's three. Arizona's not. The Chargers are not. The Giants are not. And you could say Daniel Jones, but they're not. They just they just paid him. Um, Tennessee, uh, maybe, but I, I don't. I don't even think so. Uh, you've taken quarterbacks like two years in a row in the draft. I'm going to say no to the Tennessee. Atlanta will. That's four. Chicago's not going to again. The Jets are not going to. Minnesota might. We'll say five. Either Minnesota or Tennessee will. will. Um, and you get to. Denver six, Las Vegas is seven. That's seven. I keep hearing that there's six going in, maybe the first 10 or 12 picks. That's seven QBs. Now you have teams like New Orleans that you said, oh, maybe they'll trade up. Nope, they just gave Carr a new contract. Indy's not taking it. Seattle won't. Jacksonville won't. Cincinnati won't. The Rams, eh, not going to waste a first rounder on that. Pittsburgh, they might. Pittsburgh would be maybe a team to keep an eye on. You go down the list here, and really, there's nobody else. So you have six or seven quarterbacks that could go in the first round. Do the Raiders want to be picking the sixth or seventh? Does, does Cliff Kingsbury want to be picking the sixth or seventh and working with the sixth or seventh quarterback? Or do you want to go to Washington, where at worst you're getting Drake May and maybe you get Caleb Williams? Right. Well, with that announcement, so Kingsbury to Washington – the Raiders now, Tommy, looks like are going to shift gears and go to Luke Getze 
a guy you know very familiar, you're very familiar with as the former OC in Chicago. It came down to him, Alex Van Pelt, who ended up taking the OC job in New England, Mike Sullivan out of the Steeler camp, Chip Kelly, UCLA coach, and um, Kingsbury. And it looks like they're going to say they've decided it's going to be Luke Getzey, and that's what you woke up to this morning when I sent you that picture. I, I know you uh, just wiped the sleep out of your eyes and then just died laughing when you saw that. Correct me if I'm wrong. You sent it to me. Rob Mish sent it to me. I had about three <laughs> Bears fans send it to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the collective laugh. I I, I I don't even have words for this. Um, I lived through Tressman. I've lived through some bad offensive coordinators for the Chicago Bears. I think Luke Getze was the worst. I called for his head in the middle of the year. I, I would go as far to say he's one of, I can't say the worst. He's one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever watched. Uh, I'm sorry, offensive coordinators. I've ever watched work with a quarterback in my life. And don't blame Justin Fields. This was an overall just disaster. Luke Getze should not have a job in the NFL at this level. Um, talk about reinventing yourself. I can't believe the Raiders are spinning this where, well, we wanted uh, Cliff Kingsbury, but we really wanted Luke Getze. I, I mean, what are you guys doing? What, what What's happening in Las Vegas now? And what bothers me even more is Antonio Pierce is a defensive guy. Antonio Pierce is a motivator. He needs a strong offensive coordinator, strong X's and O guy. And if you are bringing in a rookie quarterback, you need that guy. Now, look, there's a world here where Luke Getze gets to work with a Russell Wilson, right? I mean, there's a world there that something like that happens. Now, Luke Getze gets a veteran quarterback, and maybe they could hide some of his flaws. But if Las Vegas does what they need to do, and that is go get a young quarterback, uh, Luke Getze is the absolute worst hire that I could think of. I don't, I just don't, um, I don't, I, like you said, it's, it's bewilderment at this point with Las Vegas and Raider fan. I, I know when you're a strong, I think we have a strong fan base, Tommy, that you have to support every decision, but you don't have to support every decision. There are people that think this is a great hire based on what? I, I don't know. They didn't watch Bears games. Yeah. <laughs> they're going back a couple of years and they're saying, hey, remember, he was pretty good with his team before the Bears. I, I mean, was he? Well, veteran quarterback, uh, offensive-minded head coach, sure. But what is the difference between the Bears and the Raiders? Both teams uh, with subpar offenses, both, both head coaches, defensive coordinators, both quarterbacks are going to be young or raw quarterbacks. What's the difference? What did you see that he did with the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields to make anybody believe, yeah, this is this is the guy? Uh, he's cheap. Maybe he's just cheap, Tom. Maybe that's what it came down. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. I, it, honestly, I'm not a Raiders fan, so it it just makes me laugh because I just see no progress there. But I don't know. Sometimes it's ineptitude i guess is the best the only way i can put it i don't i'm not sure to tell you the truth yeah i i i think that teams get enamored with the interview process and look can we say that about every walk of life tim sure 
I think people get enamored with the interview process. I've known some of the most brilliant people that interview poorly. And, and look, I've run companies. You know what I mean? I, I've interviewed. I've never really been the interviewee a couple of times, but it's been a very long time. But I've interviewed people. And, and I, I've been around companies that interview people and, and what they is. And people that interview poorly and you look at their resume and you're like, all they have are accomplishments here. Why are we overlooking this person? And then you have the other way around. That you could almost deal with. It's the other way around that drives me crazy. Oh, man, really impressed in the interview. Uh, yeah, but we need a, uh, you know, CIA security ex- expert, and he was packing bags at Walgreens. Um, I-, I don't know if the resume is good. Oh, but he, he talked a good game. Like, no, 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 no. And you see that happening. They just said that, by the way, about um, Ben Johnson. Oh, he interviewed poorly. That, that's what they said. Yeah. Well, you know what? I would have walked into the interview and I would have turned around and I would have said, hi, I'm Ben Johnson. Have you seen what I did with the Lions off? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the same thing I said about Belichick. Bill Belichick, what have you done? Uh, hi, I'm going to scratch my face with all the rings on my fingers. I'm not going to walk out of your office. You know, Luke Getzey had to blow them away. It's the only explanation I could have. Unless, unless they wanted someone in that position, Tim. And this is a little too conspiracy theory, even for a guy like me. Unless they wanted somebody in that position that absolutely could not be a threat to Antonio Pierce. Antonio yeah. Pierce is the guy. He could not be in any way a threat. There's no way the fans are chanting Luke Getzey for head coach in midseason. There's no way he's going to be the successor. And it's Antonio Pierce. We don't want anyone in the building that's going to challenge our opportunity to let Antonio run this team. No, that, that's a good point. If if the Raiders come out next year and they had Cliff Kingsbury as the OC, Tom, regardless of who the quarterback was, and they were putting up 20, 22, 23 points a game, but losing, or, you know, losing 28, 23, 28, 24, the natural call would be to replace Pierce with Kingsbury, right? You're not going to do that with Getsy because that's not his type of offense anymore. He likes to run the ball, right? We saw that. Um, so, yeah, that, that makes sense, too. There's no, there's no, uh, somebody looking over your shoulder type situation. You brought up Ben Johnson real quick, and I, I think we could just hit on this before we take our first time out, was that uh, he interviewed poorly in Washington, right, is, was the the word. And then he comes out and says, I'm taking my name out of consideration because I want to run it back with Detroit. Just, just stop. You don't want to run it back with Detroit. You're not keeping a job where you make less money in less power position because you want to run it back with the team that – got to an NFC title game that played a schedule that ranked it towards the bottom of the NFC. And now next year you're going into a, a first place schedule. You're not running it back and passing on a head coaching job because of that. Just stop. It actually pisses me off now. And I thought Ben Johnson, you know, one of the younger, the new, the new wave of young guns in the coaching ranks. And then after what he pulled in the NFC title game himself, uh, that, that it just upsets me that you don't have to placate to the fan base in Detroit, if you were to leave because you were going to get a promotion and more money, you deserve that. You, it doesn't matter what they think, but now you have to play back into their graces. Stop it. Stop it, Tom. Yeah, I, you know, the only thing I'll give you pushback on there, Tim, you're right. I don't buy it, but the only thing I'll give you pushback on there is Ben Johnson is the hot name right now. Now, we've seen offensive coordinators be the hot name one year, fail the next year, and, and uh-oh, here we go. You know, they're, they're never heard from again. Uh, Eric Bieniemy still looking for a job, right? Um, but I also think that there is an opportunity there for Ben Johnson to be like, look, do I want to go to this this 
dumpster fire, uh, for lack of a better term, of Washington? I really want to go there? Or do I wait for one of my opportunities? Wait for maybe the New England job in a year if Mayo gets released. Wait for, um, you know, a, a job where maybe maybe I go to Chicago and they have Williams next year. Maybe this, maybe the um, Tampa job opens up. Maybe this, uh, uh, Tampa job won't, but, you know, maybe Jacksonville job opens up if that's a failure next year. There are jobs around the league, maybe the Jets job open up, that could be really, really, really intriguing in a year or two. I, I don't like that philosophy, but I can see that from Ben Johnson. Tommy, what <clears throat> we we've brought this you brought his name up again. We talk about it every offseason. What the hell did Eric Bieniemy do to get put on a blacklist, basically? So not only was he the number one candidate for years with the Chiefs, right? Shoe in to get a job. Shoe in to be a minority hire, number no doubt about it. Then gets passed over, gets passed over, he ends up taking a job in Washington where Kingsbury essentially just replaced him, right, Tom? He was the assistant head coach there under Ron Rivera. So was that just because Rivera left that they replaced the whole staff? But this guy, I, I, I don't know who he pissed off, but it almost seems like he's on a list where he cannot get a job as a head coach. It, it's, what, what do you know? What did he do to put himself in this situation? All, he's, all this guy's ever done has been, from what I hear, is an efficient uh, coordinator. Look, I look at him and I say, I've been a major fan since he got screwed out of the Heisman back in Colorado, right? Uh, with Rocket Ishmael. He was a better player that year. Um, yeah. enemy is a guy that I, I told people early on when everyone was going down the race uh, track. And I said, look, Kansas City offensive coordinators just don't get credit because they know Andy Reid is calling the plays, right? And people went, oh, stop that, stop. Then you start to hear rumblings. Well, maybe he doesn't exactly get along with Mahomes. Oh, Oh, really? Okay. So he goes to Washington to, like I said, reinvent himself. And he goes to Washington, puts up great offensive numbers. And all you heard all year long, doesn't get along with this guy, doesn't get along with that guy, is abrasive in the clubhouse. The players don't like him. Um, There's got to be something to that. Two different stops, you're hearing that kind of stuff. Two different places, you're hearing that kind of rhetoric. I don't think it's that Eric Biennemi can't do the job. I think he probably rubs people the wrong way, which is weird to me because I've only ever known him obviously, from an outsider's perspective, as, as a good guy and a, a guy that should have a job. And we'll just go full circle with this because obviously we had talked about Kingsbury turning down Vegas and Pierce being the head coach in Vegas and now Luke Getzey's going to be the OC. Wouldn't that be a spot for Eric Bieniemy to not, not at, at, at worst, Tommy, be the OC in Las Vegas, if not the head coach? Yeah, I don't think he wants to, I'm going to be honest, I don't think he wants to take another offensive coordinator job. Mm-hmm. He's gotten, in his mind, I've, I've gotten to, I've succeeded both places I've taken, I need a head coaching job. And, and I don't blame him. You know, there was speculation Andy Reid might be leaving after this year, after the Super Bowl. There, there's a lot of speculation on that. Again, unsub, ups, unsubstantiated, but there is some chatter that that would happen. Maybe Eric Bieniemy there is a perfect fit. Right, because they're not giving it to Nagy. So maybe Eric Bieniemy there is a perfect fit. Maybe Bieniemy has some inside information. Look, I always believe that these guys have to know more than we do. Um, and Eric Bieniemy is sitting there, not taking an OC job. It's got to be because he's holding out for a head coaching job. That's the only excuse that I could come up with. 
he should uh, by all rights and, and I want I want AP to prove me wrong. I want Pierce to prove me wrong, Tom, but by all rights Eric Bieniemy should be the coach in Las Vegas, not Antonio Pierce because he guided he got the locker room together and went 5 and 4 down the stretch in the in a season they didn't make the playoffs when McDaniels but was Tim only one game under 500. But Tim doesn't that go back to my point. My yeah. point of yeah. if Eric Bieniemy's in the building now the fans want Eric Bieniemy to be the coach. Now Antonio Pierce looking over his shoulder. Now the Raiders are are three and seven after ten games, and and people are going, why isn't Bieniemy the coach? Yeah, you're right. You're right. I guess that's why we are here and they're there, and they have all the money, Tom, because they can make stupid decisions and and it doesn't affect them, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, stupid decisions that affect. The fan base probably more than the ownership. Oh, 100%. All right, Angel, let's take the first break of this super sunny night here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. We're going to dive into NCAA basketball on the return. Big Saturday in college hoops. Plus, I want to get Tom's thoughts on the top teams here. And I told Tommy beginning a little bit, was about two or three weeks into the season that there were only about 10 teams I thought could win the NCAA tournament. We'll see where we're at now as we move into conference play here in the new year. It's Heatwave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio. And Mr. Angel here on a super Sunday night. Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. Make sure you tune in next weekend. Back again both nights. Saturday, 10 to midnight, we will do our annual Super Bowl preview show where all the cast and characters from Heatwave Sports past, present, and possibly future will come on, give their predictions, analysis, prop bets, have a good old grand time. It's it's one of the few shows where we just let anything go, basically. Uh, good to be, be interesting to see who shows up this year, so that's always a surprise. And then Sunday, of course, we'll have the Super Bowl 58 recap show. The first ones here in Vegas to talk about it. The only ones you really need to listen to, right, Tom, when you want that official analysis from the game. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be so much fun. And it, like I said yesterday, it's also profitable. Uh, we have a lot of fun on the show. We throw out around predictions, but we're also giving out prop plays and things of that nature. And uh, that has done really, really well. I've been tracking it for years, and we, we do really well on that. Um, Tim, uh, you know, you guys can always contact us at uh, HW Sports over on the X and Twitter and at Tom Barton Sports. And I got two messages over the break, over the, 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 little, the little commercial break we just had. One of them said, draft talk just, just gets people going. One of them said, Tom, uh, what do you think the draft order is going to be? And somebody else said, how do you see the quarterbacks going off the board? So uh, let me just give you a quick analysis, okay? Because I don't want to go deep into it. I didn't do my full research for the draft. We'll have our draft show. But I think we could all agree Caleb Williams is going in the first round, probably one. Drake May's going in in the first round, one or two. I think Jaden Daniels goes in the first round, probably in the top five. I think Michael Penix has a chance to go in the first round, probably inside the top ten. I think Bo Nix goes in the first round. I, I don't know if he makes the top 15, but I think he's a first-rounder. I think Jamie J. McCarthy could be a first-rounder, Tim. And that leaves us with six. I, I've heard 
like Michael Pratt be thrown in there. And maybe you want to argue that J.J. McCarthy won't go. Look, if this was a regular draft and a regular player, McCarthy and Knicks are second, maybe even third or fourth rounders. But because everyone's so absolutely quarterback starved, you know, Williams is going, May is going, Daniels is going, Penix is going in the first round. They're they're the first round guys. And then you get Bo Nix. Bo Nix, probably a second round guy. But if you're getting into picks, you know, 20 and above, let's say, you're looking at Bo Nix. If you're Arizona, do you take a shot at Bo Nix? Potentially. If you're Detroit, do you back it up with Bo Nix? Do you trade in if you're one of these teams? How about Philadelphia? We know the Jalen Hurts conversation. How about Philly? How about Pittsburgh at 20? And then you get into a J.J. McCarthy. And I think that he's the guy I would expect that the lines aren't out, but I would expect the over-under to be over-under five and a half quarterbacks taken in the first round. It's going to be tough because you have to believe that J.J. McCarthy's going in the first round. Now, um, Harbaugh just came out and said, oh, he's definitely a first-round pick. Definitely a first-round pick, says Harbaugh. Uh, I don't know if I buy into that. But would it shock me to see the Chargers go get their backup? and move up from early second into, you know, the first round? No, maybe not. So I think we have an absolute assured three guys going in the first five, four guys going in the top ten. And then you get into where Knicks and McCarthy land and how you you think that they think about them. Mm-hmm. And that could all change within a month, right, Tom? You know, it's amazing how how quick things change, though, with prospect analysis and and uh, these teams. Sometimes they don't always put out what they what they're really looking at. You know? Yeah, I I, I don't know. To me, I I looked at Bo Nix all year long like a first round pick. Now I know he was older and everything else, but I looked at him as a first round pick. Maybe not a franchise quarterback. But a first-round pick. I looked at J.J. McCarthy all year long as a guy that, with the right training, could be okay. I mean, you give me J. Just think about this. If you're, <clears throat> let's just say, I- I'm going to pick out a team here. If you're uh, Detroit, right, or you're Philly, or you're Miami with a, a broken-down Tua who could go at any time, don't you want to take a shot at a guy like McCarthy? But the whole thing is, do you, dra- do you waste first-round capital on a backup? Probably not. I, I What I know is that I can count seven to eight teams that absolutely need a new quarterback. And um, they, 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 I think that there's going to be six guys taken very close to the first round. And, and by the way, I'm the guy that sat here, and this is not to, to pat myself on the back because I've had major failures, uh, but I'm the guy that sat here when we had one, two, and I told you Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, I said, I don't think either one of them ever win a Super Bowl. I think either one of them ever win the MVP, but I would have taken Wentz over Goff. Okay, I was wrong, uh, partially. Then when we had Winston Mariota, I said the same thing. I don't like either one of them. I said, I don't think either one of them ever win an MVP. Neither one of them win a Super Bowl, right? I mean, that, that's just reality. Um, neither one of them are going to, to accomplish that as a starter. I'm looking at the Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penick situation. I'm going, I don't buy into Caleb Williams. I I get the allure of Jaden Daniels, but man, he needs a perfect situation. I think Penix might be, to me, Drake May might be the number one guy in this draft, and Penix might be too. 
And again, yeah. Penix has weird throwing style. He's injured. He's older. I get it. But a lot of these things have to do with kind of situation. I'm looking at Penix and I'm going, can he land in Denver? Oh, that's a good spot. Oh, that, that'd be good. Could he land in Minnesota with all those weapons? Oh, that could be fun. Could he land with the Jets and sit a year under Rodgers? Oh, that could be fun too. So you start to kind of throw names around and then connections to the team and you got to get a little excited. You know, yeah, that's the fun part about it is we don't know and we won't know until the future plays itself out, right, Tom? But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Tim, let's, let's, get, let's ask Raider fans. Raiders, you're sitting at number 13 overall, Okay. Raider fans out there, you're sitting at 13. You are not trading up to get Caleb Williams. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. You should. But let's say they don't trade up to get Caleb Williams. They don't trade up to get Drake May. They don't trade up to get Jaden Daniels. And you're sitting there. Are you happy? And 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 Michael Penix goes off the board. So at 13, are you, are you willing to go Bo Nix at 13 or J.J. McCarthy? I mean, I wouldn't, but. No. No, you can't. Vegas needs to move up. It's that simple. They have to move up. Yeah. Any more football talk, Tommy, from that there ex Twitter? The last thing I want to mention is is I did it. It's my fault. Let me take a bow. I I, I put it out into the universe. I said there's no distractions. There's nobody going to jail. There's no concerns. <laughs> I said that last night. You did, and I woke up. I woke up to Patrick Mahomes Senior in jail. Yeah. Oh, oh! I was, la- I was laughing my a off. You know when I saw that. The worst part about no, it is, good. I said the worst part about it is Tommy is that, you know, we're joking about it, but that fool's been arrested now six times for D. Like that's ridiculous, dude. You're you're just you don't deserve to be walking the streets at that point, man. Come on. No, not at all. especially with all that money. Like you can't get an Uber. Yeah, yeah. But I, I did. I read something totally classless, should not be repeated. So let me tell you what it is. Yeah. <laughs> said, Wouldn't you be caught drinking if you were locked into a box with uh, Taylor Swift, the uh, Brittany Mahomes, and Jackson Mahomes for the whole season? <laughs> <laughs> totally classless, should not be repeated. <laughs> and you um, can quote Tom Barton on that one. Yeah, oh, great. Yeah, that's the morning show father right there. Oh, there, there's their sound clip. You know, they yeah. love to use that. <laughs> um, but yeah, this isn't a major distraction uh, for the team. I think you know, no, it, it'll be no. it'll be fine. But it, it was pretty terrible timing that I got off the air hours late. I probably got off the air like when he was being arrested. Actually, I was probably saying it like at the moment that he was being arrested. Come on, you you know you know Patrick Mahomes' dad is tired of his son over. Uh, passing him up as a professional athlete and he had to he had to get in there and get his name back in the news tom you know that man i'm i'm blaming uh taylor swift since everybody blames it on her right (laughs) and i keep saying i don't care and she gets no blame it's all her fault i don't know let's blame her yeah we'll blame her but 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 tim let me ask you with with a a veteran team like this okay because clearly that is not something that we could spend too much time on uh, but with a veteran team like Kansas City, and let's be honest, a veteran team like San Francisco, I know they don't have a ring, but outside of Brock Purdy, you know, a veteran team like San Francisco, who is the guy that would be a distraction for them? You know, is there's always that guy 
on the team, whether it be an Ocho Cinco or a Terrell Owens or the, that you, you're concerned about. Right. I mean, even Dennis Rodman, you have the stories of Dennis Rodman, you know, flying to Vegas in the middle of game, you know, after a game and things. Like, uh, who who's the guy that would be a concern that if you're the team, you know, PR guy and you're going, OK, um, <laughs> uh, we got to keep an eye on this guy. Who's the guy that could disrupt it? Because he's got to be a big enough name to disrupt it and have a history. I don't think there's any. I think that these are two very clean teams. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. May. Maybe Kelsey would be the closest, I guess you could say, in Kansas City to being that person. I don't think so, though, because his image is so just squeaky clean right now. He's got to keep that squeaky clean image, you know? Yeah, maybe just the maybe just the outside stuff would be the distraction, not necessarily his mouth or his actions. It's things around him. I, I don't even know in San Francisco. They're pretty... They they've gone really away. Both both those teams have had people with character issues before, and they seem to have cleaned that all out. So, uh, I think like we said last night, this this is a this is a great this is going to be a great game to watch. And uh, whoever wins is, you know, they they probably were the better team overall at the end of it. Even though I think Kansas City very lucky to be there, but that's just the way it is sometimes in football. I think for me. And obviously, we'll get all into this next Saturday night. But for me, this is a San Francisco redemption game for them to, to kind of close the close the window on on this this era in that they don't have to be looked at Tommy as one of the better teams that just couldn't get it done. I think this is a very much so important game for them, more so than Kansas City. Well, I I wanted to highlight that because. We, we look. We often highlight the bad guys and things that happen, and you know the Ray Lewis white suit, and uh, you know all the well, the Falcons down on Bourbon Street. I mean, all the negative that does happen. And then it seemed. I know everybody doesn't like him out there. Uh, we do, but it seemed like Belichick cleaned it up. And what we consistently said was, "Ah, oh, not going to get in trouble on a Belichick team." You know, I mean, that was the. It's not reality, but that was kind of the, the genre of. Oh, I'm not going to get in trouble in a bell check. Oh, he's going to have a tight lip. He's going to have it down. And now we have two teams that I think have followed that, and they should get credit for what they're doing, you know, that they are a tight-button team, uh, both sides. Their coaches are fully in control, both sides. We're not going to have, or at least we don't think, and it doesn't seem like we're going to have many shenanigans outside. I think that speaks to the coaching and the credit that goes to Mahomes, I believe takes away from what Andy Reid has done. And the credit that is all going to Christian McCaffrey and that, I think it's taking away a little bit from Shannon. I believe that the media, that's partially, uh, you know, the media's fault, but I, I, I think it's really been, for a couple of years now in Andy Reid's case, the media is downplaying the significance of how extraordinary both of these coaches are. Next Saturday night, full analysis from not only Tom Barton, Tim Unglesby, Brian Feldman from Out of Line right here on Fox Sports Radio, Christopher Wynn, who, who, possibly Tom, I'm, I'm going to put it out there, possibly Ron Natty. Come on. It's going to be a great show, man. I got to tell you, man, Ron sent us a picture today. I didn't want to say it because I don't want to get him upset. I will tell him on the air. Um, he looks like Ditka. He's got he's got the dick the mustache going, and and Ronald hate that because he's a Green Bay fan. But he's got the not not in a bad way, not in a bad way. He's got he's got the dick of mustache going. It works for him. He had the you know the aviators on. I was like, huh, Ron, looking like Dicker right now. Oh yeah, I like it. 
Tommy, here's a quick text before we move on to college basketball. From I consider him, I know you do consider him as well, a member of the Heatwave Sports family, former fantasy football expert on the show, always comes out to the remotes. He's always listening. Listen right now, Tom. Steve Roy, who I'm assuming will attend the Super Bowl preview show next Saturday, as always. He'd like to know, Tom, who spent more time riding coattails, Scotty Pippen or Jackson Mahomes? And can you put Brittany Mahomes with Jackson and give the slash? So can we do Scotty Pippen or Jackson slash Brittany Mahomes? Listen, Scotty Pippen was on the court, man. You know, I say what you want. Yeah, he rode some coattails, but he had to run that floor. He had to, you know, take on some back in, back in the 90s. You had to take on some bodies. And, I mean, he took a beating. Jackson Mahomes is, uh, whoo. Yeah, he's, a a bum. he's a bum, right? Isn't that what he is? <laughs> and and Brittany, I wouldn't even call her her coattail rider as much as I would just say, you know, fell backwards into the lottery. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, she she hit the lottery and you hit the lottery with love, sure. You know, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if um, you know Bezos is married or not, but his wife did too. So I, I'm not <laughs> down on her, you know, because if you're rich and you're with a with a guy before they became something, I got to give you credit. So I'm not down on Brittany. I know everybody hates her and everything. I'm not down on her. Jackson, on the other hand, oh uh, yeah, that's a, yeah. that's the coattail rider. Yeah, the Mister. Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah, you're right because Brittany Mahomes and and Patrick have been together since high school, right? So it's that's not. Uh, she didn't gravy train into that. She's actually been with her guy through the whole time. So yeah, although I have heard and. These are sources, obviously, I cannot confirm because I've never met her, but apparently she's not the nicest to uh, public servant staff, whereas Taylor Swift is very, very outgoing and nice to people that are considered below them. Is, is that is that how it's uh, looked at, Tommy? They're considered below them. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that, too. And, and let's be honest, she grew up in a situation where you know she was always with patrick so people kissed her butt you know taylor swift uh, for all that you might say bad about her um you know had a country upbringing she yeah. was a country music star that literally played guitar and wrote her own songs and then something happened i don't know i i blame the liberals <laughs> but you know something happened to her along the way uh but she probably still has those good those good roots what what i look at with this is, you know, I like the question of, of Scotty Pippen here. Let me ask you this. You want a coattail rider? Well, here you go. Is Travis Kelsey riding Patrick Mahomes coattails more than any other player that we've seen <laughs> that is considered elite? Now, that's the question you ask. Because we know that you had Brady and Gronk. Gronk was a fantastic overall player. He was blocking. He was this. He was that. Brady, of course, helped Gronk. Gronk helped Brady as well. When Brian, when Brady was in trouble, throw it to Gronk. They were hand in hand. You go to Rice in Montana, very much the same thing, right? I mean, Rice was good without Montana. Montana was good. He found other guys. Rice in Montana, they sort of made each other. And there's always the comparisons of this, you know, uh, of who are you without. Travis Kelsey is riding the coattails of Patrick Mahomes. Let's make no mistake about that. Would Travis Kelsey be Travis Kelsey, Tom, if he was the tight end of uh, not even a bad team? We'll, we'll just go with a decent, decent franchise. So if he was in Cincinnati, would he be Travis Kelsey? 
No, not at all. I, I'll give you a great quote. But my buddy that lives in Thailand, but he was a he's the biggest Chiefs fan you'll ever meet in your life. Um, he had a Derek Thomas jersey when we were kids, and he met him, and he flew out to Kansas City when he was a teenager. I mean, biggest Kansas City fan you'll ever met in your life. And I was kind of ripping on Travis Kelsey on Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he said, and I, in his defense, this is how my Kansas City Chiefs friend said to me. Hey, lay off the hate for the greatest wide receiver in postseason history. <laughs> you know, and 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 that is kind of the the funny aspect about Travis Kelsey is because he is getting this love and recognition because he's a wide receiver and he's not a tight end. Uh, anybody that puts him in the top five tight ends of all time, you don't know what the tight end position is. You don't know what it's supposed to be. He's a great, great receiver. But look at Travis Kelsey's uh, career, Tim. You know, look, it's not like he didn't have, he had um, playoff success, right? I mean, with Alex Smith, he had Andy Reid, he had players that, you know, could have elevated him. And now you look at Travis Kelsey and you go, wait a minute, he's been phenomenal. 121 targets, 121. But let's see, year 2014, Tim, right? 862 yards, five touchdowns. Meh. Next year, 2015, 875, five touchdowns. Next year, four touchdowns. You know, then he then he started to explode. And even even 1,008 touchdowns is not even exploding. Then next year, all of a sudden, he starts to explode. And you go, there's not a player that I could remember that is a clear Hall of Famer, because Travis Kelsey is a clear Hall of Famer, that has massive success. Travis Kelsey has massive success that no one says you're a product of the system or your product for Mahomes. Mahomes made Kelsey who Kelsey is. Make no mistake about that. So does that mean, Tom, that Lamar Jackson is the greatest running back in Baltimore Raven history? <laughs> yes. I've said that for a while. <laughs> I, I've actually said that for a while. Yeah, look, well, guys, Mahomes came in in 2018, was the first 16-game starter. What did I just tell you guys? The first time... That Travis Kelsey went over 1,100 yards, and the first time he ever had double digit in uh, touchdowns, 2018. You know, he's had it didn't not like he didn't have a career before that. He had a four year career before that. Never caught more than eight touchdowns, five, five, four, and eight. You know, 800, 875, 1,100, 1,000, and then 13, 12, 14, 11, 13. Yeah, I mean, 11, 10, 12, nine touchdowns. It's Patrick Mahomes, guys. It's 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 yep. Mahomes. Tommy Steve Roy has confirmed his appearance, the Saturday night Super Bowl preview show next week from the Lotus Broadcast Studios. Ah, very cool. I, I like that we're all going to be uh, in studio and, and you guys going to be partying there. That's sweet. <laughs> poor poor Mateo has no idea what he's what he's getting himself into with the. Our characters, Armando Vasquez. We have to send a pizza over there or something. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. All right, Tom, let's do this. Let's take the top of the hour. We'll come on back. We got men's college basketball to discuss. We have Major League Baseball. Going to have a good, great second hour of the Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports, right here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Angel, take it away, sir. We'll. Talk to everybody here in a few short. Tim, is that LA Knights music there? That is the 
future WWE champion, right, Tommy? Oh, you think so? Get in line. <laughs> it's we're back. You got Roman, The Rock, Cody. Yeah. You got the Money in the Bank, Drew, Orton, CM Punk. Yeah, yeah. LA Knight had a nice little run for like a minute and a half. I love that you know that, though. I love that for you. <laughs> you know I do. <laughs> Welcome back to hour two of the Super Night, Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Every Saturday and Sunday, you'll find us right here on 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. You can get Tommy over at Tom Barton Sports and myself at HW Sports on the X. So now we're going to turn our attention, Tom, to some NCAA college basketball as we are in conference play. So you know that coming up in about six weeks will be March Madness. And since I'm bringing that up, Tom, are we confirmed that Tom Burton will make his return to the wonderful city of Las Vegas in the month of March? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be fun because um, I was going to come for the March Madness, you know, and I, I've been there many years for March Madness. I'm been sitting in uh, Atlantic City the last couple of years. And I love March Madness, but you said, Tom, come for the conference tournaments. You know, they're, they're all played here. I, I've never done it with all the time that I've spent in Las Vegas. I've never done it as a media member. So I said, yeah, you know what? Let's let's do that. So I'll be there before March Madness. But like I always say, March Madness actually starts in the beginning of March. We don't wait till the brackets. We're going to try to do the gauntlet of conference tournaments, Tom. Shouldn't be an issue to get the credentials. I hope not. But so we'll have, except for the Pac-12, they never seem to credential any of us. And I'm talking the Feldmans, the wins of the world. So we we just don't even we don't even worry about that. But Mountain West, of course, they always take care of us. The Mountain West will be there and to support that tournament. And uh, you know we have the tie-in with with UNLV. We're gonna we're gonna hit up the WAC. We're gonna hit up the Big West, Tom. We're going to hit up the West Coast Conference, hopefully, depending on what day you come in, because theirs is one of the first tournaments that we see every March. So, so we, you know, we get, we're going to get a steady dose of some college basketball tournament action along with all of our friends here in the Heat Wave Sports Circle. And it's going to be fun. And, you know, it's funny because this is one of the few years that all of the conferences that we will be covering really, really have elite teams. I, I mean, I am super impressed with the Mountain West tournament this year and the Mountain West, uh, you know, conference this year. I'm super impressed with it. And it's not just, you know, the elite one team and, okay, no, no, no. I am super impressed with what a lot of teams are doing. I mean, even Air Force is coming out every now and then looking good. Um, I, so I think that that's going to be a fun tournament because there's so many good teams. Yeah. I mean, look, New Mexico's top 20 team right now, Tom, right? So that that conference itself, I guess we could just hit start here. That conference, forget the rankings, right? Because you, you said it. Look at the, just the amount of schools that Mountain West could technically kind of get in there. You got to say four shores, right? New Mexico, San Diego State, probably Colorado State's in there. And that's just before the, even any of the, the conference tournament plays out so that's going to be a fun one i think for the first time in a while that'll be a really good one and i'm talking about possible upsets or in early rounds of mountain west action yeah i i think we can have uh, a number of oh wow moments you know i didn't see that team kind of leaving sort of moments it's uh 
it's wide open. I, I know that, look, you got a team ranked in the top 25, so you don't think that it's a wide open tournament, but I, I tend to think it is. I tend to think that when we get there, people will start believing more that the conference is a good conference as opposed to, well, you just have one good team. Um, you, you you just look at the what, what the standings are right now. And tell me if you believe they're a good team or kind of a product of their schedule here, Tim, right? So let, let's start right at the top. And you mentioned it right at the top when we get into, uh, you know, the Mountain West. Utah State's at the top, Tim. Not the team that you said was ranked. The Utah State, 19-3 overall, 7-2 in conference, sitting in first place. Are they a product of, the, of a weak conference? Is this a team that could really turn some heads? I'm in the camp that I think that they have a viable claim to the best team in this conference. I, I would tend to think that their schedule favored them a little bit, but once you get into play here, that's all that's going to matter, the conference. And uh, we'll see, you know, what are they at three games into the conference schedule, four games in, so there's ways to go. But I think Utah State got a little hefty in, in the early. If you look at the non-conference and you look at the top 20 team in New Mexico and look at their non-conference versus Utah State's non-conference, I like New Mexico's was a harder road to hoe. But, look, wins are wins, Tom, right? They're a win away from 20, which I know isn't the magic number anymore. But even if they went 500 in the, the conference play the rest of the season, Utah State's going to be over 26 wins. And then you play the tournament. So, uh, I mean, you win. You have to play the games to, to get the record. So they put themselves in a good position here. But they're, they're tough out, too, just like Boise is. Yeah, listen, top 20 team, right? Boise is in second. Uh, look, they're 16 and 6. I think a, a lot of the problem with Boise um, is people, look, they're in second place. But people look at a lot of recent trends. And well, they had an opportunity to go one-on-one against New Mexico. And they won that game. But they lost against Utah State. And they lost that game at home. They lost UNLV. And they lost that game at home. So that kind of leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. I'm not dinging them up. I think Boise State is another team has a legitimate claim to the best team in this conference. What about the Aztecs? Runners up last year, right, to UConn, seventeen and five, right, Tommy? They they do have three losses in the conference. I think a couple of them are uh, scratch your head losses, but they, you know you just went over one of them. With literally, that's uh, always a team that you have to worry about. And I think that they're kind of, I'm not going to say hiding, Tommy, but kind of just waiting in the bushes there, don't you think? With if you look, Like you said, if you look at the standings and you see New, San Diego State right now fourth, fifth in the, in the conference, and you're not paying attention, you, you think that maybe they're, they have a, a, on a downward spot or a team that's not as good, but that's not the case, Tommy. That's a, that's a good basketball team. Six teams in this conference have 17 or more wins, and that's one of them. They're going to get to their 20 wins this year. Right? I mean, it, it's just when do they kind of pop, we'll say. And they're coming off a win against Utah State, like you said. Their schedule, uh, we're talking about getting to 20 wins. At Air Force, I know Air Force is tricky. That's a win. At Nevada, and you got Colorado State at home, New Mexico, and Utah State back-to-back. Fresno, Utah, uh, San Jose State, UNLV, Boise State. I mean, I'm looking at this schedule and I'm going, they, could they get to 23 wins? Maybe. I mean, we're talking about into – the 23 win range, San Diego State's got to be among them. And it's not just the four. It's not Utah State, Boise State, New Mexico State, San Diego State, because we've got to throw Colorado State in there as well. 
and I hate, I know, look, it pains people to hear this, but Nevada is sitting there with 17 wins as well. Yeah. What about the Rebs, Tom? The the wishy-washiness of the Rebel fan base now on a three-game winning streak. They're back at it, Tommy. They're going to make a run here. That's that's the that's the social media t- messages now. Even though literally, Mr. Barton they beat the dreads of the Mountain West in San Jose State, Fresno State, and Wyoming. So, how about the Rebels with nine games to go in conference play? I often tell people, invest into a sports team that has a chart like a stock market chart that you would like. Steady growth or steady decline. Because it's easy to kind of tell who they are, right? But maybe, obviously, over the course of the season, you're going to have a little lull, a little dip, but then your stock goes back up. Or your stock goes up, and then it comes back down to where it's supposed to be. UNLV stock market looks like the uh, mountains in <laughs> in Colorado, right? Um, terrible loss, game one. Come back, you beat Stetson, Pepperdine. Oh, a little momentum. Oh, crushed by Florida State. But, oh, they hung in the game. Lose to Richmond, and they win against Akron. Oh, then they lose to LMU. No problem. Oh, you lose, you lose, and you look terrible. Oh my goodness, huge spike. You beat Creighton. Wow, you hung with St. Mary's. Oh, looking good. You beat Hofstra. You beat up on two Division Two teams. Wow, first test of the of the year in conference. Go to San Diego State. Lose down, but you beat New Mexico. But you lose to Utah State in a heartbreaker. But you beat Boise. But you lose to Colorado State and Air Force. Low moment. And now you come back, you beat San Jose State, Fresno State, and Wyoming, and you want a trophy. Um, I, I'm not telling you that it's a bad year. What I'm telling you is that it's massive volatility. They do have New Mexico in New Mexico on Saturday. If they lose that game, Tim, you're not talking about a 20-win team anymore. You're talking about a team that is going to be struggling to get over 500. But if you win that game, you open up everyone's eyes in the world. Everybody's going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's pay attention. Because their schedule after that doesn't have a lot of, let's say, prove-it games. This is maybe their last prove-it game of the year. Because you get Fresno State, Nevada, who you, you're you at least on the same par with. I'm not going to say, you know, that they're much better. On the same par. Fresno State, Nevada at home, Air Force, Colorado State at home, Wyoming, San Jose State at home, San Diego State, but you get the game at home and then Nevada on the road. I think you're kind of in those games. There, there's one prove-it game left, and it's the next game, which for UNLV fans is a bad thing because you only have one more prove-it game left. But after that, I have to agree with them. I'm looking at the schedule, and I'm going, Fresno State, winnable game. Nevada at home, winnable game. Air Force, winnable game. Colorado State, winnable game. Wyoming, winnable game. San Jose State, San Diego State at home, at home, winnable game, winnable game. At Nevada, winnable game. Let's let's say they stumble. They go one and one against Nevada. They lose to San Diego State. You're still looking at one, two, three, four, five, maybe six more wins. They they have a lot to prove on Saturday, but it's like that stock market. If they lose on Saturday, I am buying into UNLV finishing the season off strong. Just because of the strength of schedule, I think that they can. If they're twelve and ten. I think they could still get to 17 wins. It's not enough in Mountain West, but suddenly you put a little scare into some teams. If they win, wow, watch out. You know, they could could make that run. I circled I circled the the Saturday game a while ago. 
because I, I look at it as they're going to the pit against a top 20 team in New Mexico. Um, the thing is that you'd be like, okay, is that an upset alert? The problem is UNLV beat New Mexico a month ago by 10. I don't think New Mexico is overlooking the Rebels this time. And I, I, you know, I'm waiting to see the spread on this game, Tom, because I, I like New Mexico Saturday, and that would put the Rebels with a loss back at 12 and 10. You have Fresno right back, stay on the road. You got Fresno on Valentine's night, and I know Fresno isn't the Fresno of the past. You know, obviously they're they're a, a team under 500 right now, but the Rebels messed around with them the other night here in Vegas, and I, I don't want to say that I thought that they were in danger of losing that game, but they didn't look crisp about it. So you know how it is on the road in college basketball. You lose one, you lose two, and all of a sudden it just curtails you, and then you're trading wins and losses. With a 12-10 and 10 record, Tom, you really can't afford to – and what, less than 10 games left? Like you said, 20 is a magic number for them. They're not going to get there. And now you're looking at, what, a 5-6 seed in the, in the tournament? That is a tough schedule, regardless if it's on your home court or not, because that's never benefited the Rebels having the tournament here, ever. I, I just don't see that team being capable of knocking off in a three-day tournament if you had to run through a Boise, Utah State, New Mexico, San Diego State, or even Colorado State. I can't see them beating three of those teams. No, I, that, I think that's the thing with the Rebels. you got to kind of temper your expectations but understand – you know, no matter what happens um, this this week, you know, no matter what happens Saturday, it's going to be fine because you do have a winnable schedule. But you can't also get ahead of yourself here and start looking at games down the road because it would be nice to see them play. You said you like New Mexico minus the points. I do too. Um, but what are those points going to be? We just right. watched tonight. Stanford took on Arizona. <clears throat> Um, Stanford had lost to Arizona earlier in the year. Stanford overlooked them clearly. Arizona, I'm sorry, uh, Arizona overlooked Stanford clearly. Arizona was at home in an opportunity. They set the line at 17 and a half because the world thought Arizona is going to just inflict damage. Arizona was losing at the half, Tim. We wound up winning the game by double digits, but they didn't cover that spread. So here we go, New Mexico. Oh, here we go. <clears throat> New Mexico is at home, revenge spot. A uh, big spot to to kind of say, hey, we're a, we're a top 25 team. Let's stay there. Take hold of this conference, which they're not in first place in the conference. It, everything's lining up for them to just blow this UNLV team out. But what do you set the line at? If this line is 10, I don't know if I could give 10. Yeah, what do you, what do you think it's going to be, Tom? That, that's, I think that's it's going to be 10. Yeah. I, I'm setting it at 10. Yeah, I mean, if it's less than ten, I think, I think we're playing it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I look. New Mexico should win this game. That, like I said, they have everything in their hand to win this game. I just, I hate to lay double digits in a spot like this. It, and it might, it might come out at like seven, and I'll be all over it. If it's eight, nine, ten, it's going to be a little bit tougher. Uh, if it's nine and a half, what do you play? <laughs> I'll probably lay off. I'll probably yeah. lay off. You were the okay. one who said you were making the bet. Uh, yeah. Tim, what about what about the big picture here, right? We yeah. like I just said, 
um, multiple teams, a handful of teams with 17 wins. You've got to think that five, maybe six teams get to 20 wins in this conference. There's going to be maybe three teams that get to 24 or 25 wins even. Is this the year that they flood the NCAA tournament? That the Mountain West is sitting there, not with one or two teams, not even with three, but with four? Can they get four teams in? Could they get a a fifth team in to the tournament? Is this the year where the Mountain West steps up and really gets their their nod in the NCAA tournament? I don't think so, Tom. And I only say that because I don't, as as exciting as the basketball is amongst those teams that are like a lot of schools, I guess you feel are very similar. Let's put it that way. I think that from the landscape, as we move into the national talk, I think the landscape's kind of the same way too, Tom. If you look at a lot of the the, conf- the power conferences, there's a lot of teams in that, that same range of wins that you're talking about. So I think when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, and we can call it whatever bias we want to call it, they're going to go with schools from the bigger conferences rather than the conference like the Mountain West. I think the Mountain West could get three, Tom. I think they can get three. Four, you're, I think you're kind of pushing it, and there's no way five goes. So I, I don't think that the conference is, is up there with these other, you know, if you look at the national picture, I don't think it, it ranks up there just because we have so many teams with 17 wins. Look at the non-conference schedules of those teams. I just think that as a whole, there's a lot more parity in college basketball right now, and, and that unfortunately is going to affect the Mountain West and how many teams they do get into the big dance. Who do you keep out, Tim? I mean, Utah State's going. Uh, New Mexico. I mean, I'm saying, barring a crazy collapse, right? Utah State's going to have 25 wins. They're going. They spent time inside the top 25. New Mexico's going. Barring a collapse, they're going to have 24, 25 wins. They're going. Those are two. Boise State, I could see them being left out. Because they're going to get to 22 wins or 21 wins, maybe some. San Diego State, I don't know. We just talked about them going on a run. I I'm, I'm going to go out of here and say this. Look, there's a lot of basketball to be played regular season. I think the Mountain West gets three teams in. And I'm telling you, I, I think I'm going to be sitting here selection Sunday and pushing for a fourth. Mm-hmm. Just the way the Depends schedule the, works out. Yeah, no. Uh, look, San Diego State's not going to be left out unless they just go into the, the dump. They're in, right? They, they've, they've established, uh, what do you call it, Tom? What do you call it when, if it comes down to two schools and what's that name recognition, right? They've, they've gotten to that point where they're going to go, if they're on the bubble, chances are they're going in. Right. So if the tournament plays out the way it should, barring upsets, Utah state, New Mexico, San Diego state, they're in Boise will be the bubble team. Colorado state will be the team left out. If there's upsets, it changes everything, and that probably works in the negative for the Mountain West if there's upsets. Now all of a sudden, Boise's out. Colorado State wins a tournament, right? Boise's out. Uh, San Diego State's going, I think, regardless unless they get beat in the first round. And then you have to worry about records and who's where in the rest of that tournament. So I think that I'm with you. Three's in, fourth on the bubble, no way five goes. All right. I, I'm, I'm fair with that. I'm looking at the same thing. I think there's three, I don't want to say guarantee because I hate that word, three that are in. 
it wouldn't shock me if we were screaming for a fourth. And maybe it's our uh, the Mountain West bias, you know, but it wouldn't shock me if Boise or Colorado State got red hot. Or Nevada. Wouldn't shock me if Nevada got red hot at the end here. And we're going, man, yeah, you got to put that fourth team in. I think there's three, which is really good for the Mountain West. Listen, you're going to have three teams that we're saying right now should absolutely go. You got By the end of the weekend, you're going to have three teams inside the top 25. I mean, it's really kind of that crazy of how good the Mountain West is being represented this year. What about nationally? About three weeks ago, I said, Tom, there's 10 teams that can win this tournament. Am I, am I on course still? Am I off course? What do you think? Yeah, I think, um, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think coming into the season, <laughs> you know, I looked at it and I said, there's about 10 teams that can win this thing. And, and mm-hmm. that was one of my, always one of my, my, you know, get on my soapbox and kind of moments is that I always do believe that there's only about 10 teams and they want us to believe, ah, anything can happen. Nah, not really. So you start to break down the top 25 and I go from 25 up. Okay. Who do I think can win the tournament? TCU. Uh, I'll, I'll use the, uh, the AP poll here. TCU's 25. No. Anybody outside, by the way? No. TCU's 25. Alabama, I can't see them winning it. Oklahoma, BYU, Dayton. Dayton's a good story. No. FAU, I thought they'd be in the Final Four. Nope. New Mexico, not, not winning the whole thing. Baylor, uh-uh. Utah State, the good year, not winning the whole thing. Auburn, no way. Texas Tech, I don't see it. Then you get into the 14. 14 teams that all have some warts on them. I can see Illinois getting hot, but I'm not going to put them there yet. Creighton was a team I thought could win it before the year began. They have let me down. I don't like what I see on the court. Iowa State, same kind of thing. And you go to the top 11. And you can make a case for 11. Arizona has major defensive issues. Kentucky has even more defensive issues. Marquette, I've spoken to Rob Mish about this. I I, I think it's a bad coaching situation. Sorry, I do. Now we're down to eight. I, I like Tennessee. I think we've all been fooled with Rick Barnes before. <laughs> right. I mean, we just have. I like Wisconsin. Their style doesn't play deep into the tournament. So we're now down to six. <laughs> and this is where we are. Purdue. I, I, I mean, they can. Anybody really want to go put money on Purdue late in the season? Is that the team you want to ride with? No. We're down to five. And, and it's sort of the regulars. UConn. North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, and Houston. You can make a compelling argument to me and say 14 teams can win this thing. And I'm listening to that argument. But if we really want to shrink it down to where I want my money on and where I really believe, I think we have five teams that could win it. Duke, North Carolina, UConn, Houston, Kansas. That's my five. You talked about Arizona earlier, and then you just said them again. I can get Tommy. I can get Arizona eighteen to one to win the tournament. Is that decent odds? Is that good enough? Is it something I can not edge with through? that defense? No. <laughs> you know they're they're like Kentucky, where you know you, you're if you're betting on Arizona, and I know I put everything in a betting world because it has to. If I'm betting on Arizona, I'm going. I mean, they got to score ninety to win. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they they, they really do. 
They, they've given up. They've lost to Oregon, Oregon State, like 83. They, they've gotten, they lost to Stanford, got 100 on them. Purdue, 92. FAU, 96. Even in their wins, I mean, they are an impressive team at, at times. They've beaten a Wisconsin as a top 10 team. Beaten Duke, top 10 team. Absolutely. Um, they've beaten Alabama, top 25 team. They've done that. But their defense is still a major, major concern. And it's been masked a little bit because they haven't played any offenses. They haven't played anybody that really scares you. Cal, Oregon, Stanford, Oregon State, UCLA, USC, Washington State, Utah, Colorado. Notice I didn't mention anybody inside the top 25, Tim. So when they play top 25 teams, they have come out with wins. But look at what they had to do. You know, Purdue scored 92 on them. They beat Wisconsin. They put up 98 on Wisconsin. They had to put up 98 to win that game. FAU, they lost that game. They, they lost 96. You know, they, they beat Duke right way, way back in the beginning of the season. You want to tell me that you want to take the 18 to 1 odds? I, I can't get down. I can't get mad at it because it's 18 to 1 odds. But think about what the number that you're setting, the betting number you're setting, Arizona, UConn in the finals. Arizona, North Carolina in the finals. Arizona, Houston in the finals. Arizona, Duke. Arizona, Kansas. They're underdogs in every way and probably substantial underdogs. 18 to 1 is alluring. I'm just not going near it. Give me your February prediction before March Madness starts, Tom. If the tournament started today, who's your pick and does it change? from the beginning of the season because I don't have the, my notes in front of me. I'm sorry, sir. Beginning of the year, I told you, I, I thought UConn, I thought Creighton were going to be just elite teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I had money on both of them. UConn's the number one team in the country right now. They would not be my pick to win at all. North Carolina's played the best basketball in the country. That, North Carolina is a complete team. They are an older team, veteran-led. I like their guard play. I like what they do underneath the basket. And they can beat you with offense. They just put up 93 on a, a decent Duke defense, right? Put up 103 on Syracuse, 85 on Wake Forest. They have routinely put up big numbers. Uh, their defense was a problem when they went up against big teams. Kentucky, UConn, and Villanova, all tough losses earlier in the year. They did beat Tennessee, putting up 100. Arkansas, putting up 87. They've beaten top 25 teams. But now all of a sudden they found their defense. And they can beat you a number of ways. North Carolina is probably the most complete team in the country, and that's who I would be going on right now. As much as I like UConn, and before the year I told you how good UConn was going to be, if you're asking me to make a re-bet right now, give me North Carolina. Tommy Barton, TomBartonSports.com, final timeout here. And we're going to wrap up the Super Sunday Night edition of Heatway Sports with some Major League Baseball after these few short minutes, time to pay the sponsors, right? My friend Tommy Angel, be back here in a few short minutes. Now back to Heat Wave Sports with Tim Mongolsby and Tom Barton. Final segment, Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Tim Mongolsby, Tom Barton. All right, Tommy, we get a little bit of time here now to talk our favorite sport sure as heck ain't the nfl man it's major league baseball tommy a busy busy off season we've had 
trades. We've had big-time free agent signings. And we are two weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting to camp. We are three weeks away from spring training baseball games being played, Tom. We are a little over a month away from official games being played. So we're at that cusp, and there are still some quality – well – there's some big name free agents still out there, Tom, and I know this. A lot, you know, this is a deeper dive because we're going to get into why they're still out there. But there's still some names out there that potentially could play big roles on some of these teams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say in the beginning of the um, beginning of the off season, if you were to name the top ten free agents out there, three of them are still available, today. and you can argue. You can you could argue and squint your eyes if you if you name the top six, three of them are still out there, right? I mean, you have quality free agents still hanging around, still out there, and difference maker guys. Listen, these aren't just free agents that you go, oh, it would be nice for my team to have. No, they're difference makers. If Cody Bellinger walks into a clubhouse tomorrow. There are ten teams out there that he's the best hitter and placed on the three four hole, right? There are another ten teams that go. Wow, we were a uh, we were uh, probably not making the playoffs. Now we're a playoff team, and there are another you know ten teams that you look at him and you go, "Ooh, he just made my team from a playoff team to a legitimate contender." So he swings the needle. Blake Snell also swings that needle. Swings that needle uh, pretty pretty large. You again put him into certain teams that you could take him from a playoff team to a World Series contender. So we're not sitting here uh, and kind of, you know, talking about mid-level guys. These are absolute studs at their positions when you sit back and you go, I'm just shocked that they're sitting around there. A Matt Chapman is still available. I I don't know if people would have made him, you know, a a top six or seven guy. Maybe more probably closer to the top ten. Jordan Montgomery can really shake a team up. He's another guy. Jorge Soler is another guy that's out there. I mean, you really do have a slew of talent that's just hanging around waiting for their opportunity to get signed. And where where do these do you see these guys signing, Tommy, before spring training ends? Or is it the factor of that there's a common agent involved in a couple of these cases and they seem to be steadfast on the money they want that they're not receiving? I think guys like a Gio Yoshella, you know, a Tommy Pham, um, I think a, even a Tim Anderson, they may wait a couple of days, maybe a week into spring training, wait to see if there's an early injury. You know, if there's somebody doesn't love their depth chart, that's possible. Jorge Soler, I think, signs before time. He is a limited option kind of guy. He's basically a DH at this point. Um, he's going to have to attach to some somewhere before time. That leaves, you know, Chapman, Montgomery, Bellinger, and Snell. I'm stunned that Chapman hasn't signed. And I, he doesn't seem like a guy that wants to take this too deep and too far. I'm not sure that he lasts much longer. Jordan Montgomery, same thing. I sort of expect Montgomery to sort of be picked this week. The teams on him are, are pretty evident. He's 31 years old coming up his best season. He's got some negotiation kind of value there, but overall, I expect him to sign. The Bellinger and Snell situation, we know what's keeping them back, and they want massive money, big contract, and a perfect situation. So 
I think that both of these guys could go into spring training without a team, and I think we could be talking about this during spring training. You're looking at Blake Snell that wants, like, what, Tom, $30 million a year. That That's not chump change to a lot of these teams at this point. No, and that's the thing. While Blake Snell is coming off of Cy Young, and I don't blame him for going out there and saying, give me my money. You're 31 years old. You were a laughing stock because your team didn't even trust you to go through six innings. Now you're basically a five-inning pitcher with arm problems. Blake Snell, I don't think it's about the money, Tim. I think if Blake Snell said, I want a two-year contract for $35 million, teams go, yeah, okay, here you go. I think it's the fact that you're 31 with arm problems and you don't pitch deep into games. I'm not giving you a five, six, seven-year contract. That's the problem with Blake Snell. I don't think Snell is the average value. I think Blake Snell is the problem is, you know what? You want a long-term contract. No one's giving an often injured five-inning pitcher who's coming off of a career year and finally stayed healthy, a long-term contract. Yeah. So what happens? Does somebody just give him a, a one-year 20 and then see you again next offseason? No, I don't think so. I think Blake Snell knows he's got to he's gotta come in and just lower his asking price. But the only team that it's been reported that the only team that has been talking to him was the New York Yankees. Um, the Yankees offered him, thank goodness that he didn't bite on this, the Yankees offered him, and he turned this down, a formal offer, six years, $150 million. Yankees offered him six years, $150 million. I think it's a terrible offer from the Yankees. I couldn't be happy that he turned it down. Okay. Um, you're talking about $25 million a year for six years. He's asking for nine years, $270 million. Nine years for a 31-year-old that can't stay healthy, Tim. A 31-year-old who doesn't make deep starts. That's the problem. Listen, the 270 kind of is what jumps off the page and you go, oh, yeah, oh, my goodness, $270 million. And 270 doesn't even, that's not even the concern. It's the nine years. That's the, it's the nine years. Blake Snell, last year, just to give you an idea, last year he made 32 starts. 24 before that, 27 before that, 11 23, he had a good year in 2018 with 31, 24, and 19. Innings pitched, because that matters, right? Innings pitched. Among innings pitched, it's the first time he's ever gone over 180 or over 180 until 2018. Two years, 180 starts, uh, 180 innings. Before that, 128, 128, 50, 107, 129, 89. You're not paying $270 million in nine years for a guy that gives you 128 innings a year. Atrocious. Is somebody going to do it, though, Tom? That's the question. No, 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 absolutely not. His agent screwed him if he's telling him he's going to get 270 for nine years. He's not going to come close to that. The Yankees were, I don't want to say desperate, but the Yankees were out there. They offered him a contract where they were the only ones competing for it. Right, they offered him uh, twenty-five million dollars a year. He wants thirty million dollars a year. They could probably work that out. They offered him six. He wants nine. It's not happening. No one's giving him a nine-year contract. Him, nobody. He's gonna have to come back down, and he's probably gonna have to settle for a five or six-year deal. Big news this week: 
and a lot of times when you dissect trades, right, Tom, we always look at uh, both sides of it, who the winner was, who the loser was, if there was one, was it an equal trade, did both sides come up top, did both sides lose? I mean, there, there's always those possibilities. This past week, early in the week, in fact, you broke this to me. I hadn't even seen it. I hit it on the text message. And when I when I initially looked at it, glancing, I was driving. I glanced at it, and I had to I had to look again because I look. I'm an Orioles fan, Tom. We're not used to this, especially in the Peter Angelos era. But this was literally a day after the Angelos family agreed to sell the Baltimore Oriole franchise to some money. They sold it to some money guys, a day, including uh, the involvement of former. Hall of Famer Cal Ripken in that ownership group. Grant Hill, I believe, is in there as well. So now you're putting some some uh, star names into that ownership group. But I had to look at it again, Tom. I, I kind of wiped my eyes a little bit, and it said all it said was was wow because I missed the first part of the text. When I looked at it, the Baltimore Orioles had acquired Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers, and um, everything I've read, everything I've seen, including myself. I didn't even care at that point what they gave up. This was a win for the Baltimore Orioles franchise, Tommy. This was a massive win for the franchise, for the fans, for the city, for baseball itself. The Orioles were a World Series contender by every estimation. They won 100-plus games last year, 101 games last year. They, The problem with the Orioles all last year is they were one ace away. And they were one guy... They needed to get that one guy matchup. Here he is. Here he is, Corbin Burns. You could argue he's the best pitcher in baseball out of the National League uh, for the last, what, three years. I mean, you can argue that. Corbin Burns puts them not in a position where they could win the American American League East. I think they are the AL favorites by quite a long shot. This is coming from a Yankee fan. I absolutely love this addition. And I wouldn't have cared if they had given up Jackson Holiday. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't have cared at all. I would have said, okay, look, you got to get, you got to give them up. You know, they gave up nobody. They gave up nothing. They gave up DL Hall, who didn't have a place in their rotation, and they were hoping would be a bridge gap eighth inning guy. Maybe that's what he would hopefully develop into. And they gave up Ortiz, who's been blocked by like three other prospects. They gave up none of their top five prospects. They, this Corbin Burns deal is massive, massive. Baltimore, the city of Baltimore has been hurting with the Lamar Jackson choke job again. And now all of a sudden you go, who cares? Bring on baseball, man. The Orioles are back and back in a huge way. The only negative I saw somebody say, and and you know what? I get it. But the haul that they gave up, you're right. Ortiz, unfortunately, and he may end up being a Hall of Fame player, Tom. We don't know, right? He's not. But we, we here's the point was that you had Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday sitting in between you. There's nowhere for you to play, man. So to get an opportunity to go to Milwaukee where he can possibly crack that lineup, that's great for him. And Dio Hall, you're right. Look, prospect for years. He got a cup of coffee this this past season. Uh, mixed mixed reactions, right? But you're bringing back a number one, and that's what you needed. And you're right. If he would have started that first game in the playoff series with Texas, maybe in a different situation to have an ace there in the hole. So the only negative thing that I read was that, look, he's a free agent after the season. But I guess it doesn't matter because if you win with him, he's going to re-sign with you. And if you don't win with him, then, you know, we'll see what happens after that point. But you don't. I don't think you should think of it as, well, he's a free agent. 
did, did we need to bring him in? Yes. Yes, you did need to bring him in because now you have an opportunity to at least play with the big boys again. If, if they had won 101 last year, Tommy, and all of a sudden they fell back to 85 because they had uh, rotation issues or guys that couldn't win the big games, it's not worth it, right? It's, it's a fluke season. But now if you come back and you can win 95 games again and back in the playoffs, you're starting to build that momentum that, teams always want to be on and we've always talked about i've always said on this show since we and i have done this show together the houston astros and the kansas city royals and the atlanta braves we watched them build those championship teams through the minors and that's that's the that's the step the orioles are in right now tommy is that the minors are fine now you got to build these additional pieces to get you into the playoffs and win in the playoffs and hopefully win a world series so my thing to you is now it will stay in the east Look, your Yanks are still the favorites to win everything, Tommy. You got Soto coming in. Yeah, you made you you've stayed active in the offseason, right? You've added pieces to the puzzle. How do you feel as a Yankee fan? Not about only the Orioles, but everybody's saying you guys are still the team to beat. Sick to my stomach. Hmm. Sick. Sick. The Yankees should not be the favorites here. Um what 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 Yankee fans are holding on to and hoping for here is that well, we're going to make a trade at the deadline. The New York Yankees rotation, yes, Garrett Cole. By the way, Corbin Burns is is tied for third for the Cy Young odds right now. It goes Cole, Gaussman, and then Burns and Valdez tied, right? So it'll tell you how, how important people think he is. Garrett Cole is a true ace, true number one. After that, I got no faith in any of these guys, none. Carlos Rodon is garbage. Marcus Stroman, I want him out of town already. You know, Cortez, we don't know if he's coming back healthy. We, we don't know. We don't know. The bullpen, shambles. In total shambles. They lost all their bullpen strength, all their bullpen guys, just letting them walk away. Goodbye. They're signed Goodbye. Will their hitting be better? Yes, it will. But the Yankees are doing <clears throat> what we talked about with the Orioles, and they're sitting on talent that is losing value. Last year, you could have traded Oswald Peraza before the year for a top arm. You could have gotten Peraza for Burns straight up last year. Now Peraza's stock has fallen. Oswaldo Cabrera, where's his stock on? Stock has fallen. Their stock is falling because the Yankees aren't having enough faith to use them. Uh, Everson Priera, stock is falling. The New York Yankees need another arm, and the New York Yankees really do need a better third baseman. DJ LeMayu is at the end of his rope. DJ LeMayu is a much better player bouncing around the infield. But the problem with the Yankees is that they're thinking long-term. And here's the situation. This is why I'm stunned that they offered Blake Snell a contract. The New York Yankees are thinking, we got to give the bag to Soto. Because after this year, Soto is a free agent. Torres is a free agent. You're getting into a position where you're going to have to start paying some guys or moving on from them. The New York Yankees need to go get a, a, another viable bat. And they really do need another arm. I don't like the rotation, the way that it's set up. I don't have faith in what they're doing. So do I love the Soto move? I loved the Soto move. I did. Um, Verdugo, maybe under the radar, could be a decent move. I, I, I don't know. To me, he's a fourth outfielder, but that's okay. Stroman didn't like the move, but at least it's depth. But you're the Yankees. You see who's in front of you. You see the Orioles make a move like this. They got to go out there and make a move. What are they going to do with Peraza? They're just going to waste Peraza, waste Cabrera, waste Piera. I mean, I've been through a Yankee fans 
uh, where we've watched this, the Eric Miltons of the world, the Phil Hughes and Jabba Chamberlains, stopping them from getting elite, elite talent. All these almost prospects that never pan out. You got the Yanks, Tommy. Birds. Obviously, we do a Major League Baseball preview every year. But handicap the division real quick. Tampa, Toronto, Boston. Uh, last year, Orioles were two games better than the Rays, and then you saw Toronto and New York kind of fade away at the end of the season. How do you see this division based on the moves in the offseason? Like, the Yankees grabbed Soto, and, and they're still out there. And just, look, you and I would not be surprised – if come Tuesday they sign Blake Snell to a contract, regardless, you know whatever it is, but they they add him to that rotation. But you don't really see Toronto too active, and Tampa they're never really active. So, is this, in your opinion, a two-team race next year? I think it is. Uh, Boston is a cellar dweller. They're not even trying. Red Sox fans are up in arms, and I don't blame them. Tampa's going to take a step back. They're going to take a step back because they 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 lost key guys key guys in the rotation. I mean, you could tell me a Shane Boz is going to come on and, and, and pitch effectively, sure. But they lost Jeffrey Springs. Don't forget they lost Shane McClanahan. They lost some key guys. And the Rays have a tendency to always play above their head, but they also kind of have a tendency to say, okay, you know what? This is not going to be our year, but next year is going to be our year. And that's perfectly fine with the Rays. And they get Toronto. I thought Toronto could be players. I like Gaussman at one. I like what you saw from uh, uh, Jose last year as a number two. He kind of stepped up there. I like the back end of that bullpen. I like their hitting, obviously, but they're losing Matt Chapman. They're getting a little long in the tooth. Gaussman's getting into the mid-30s there. This is when he could start slowing down a little bit. Vlad is a donut away from uh, King Kong Bundy. I mean, they're a team <laughs> that should be better than what they are, but they're not. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's Yankees, Orioles, with a team like Toronto or Tampa filling the gap and maybe making a wild card run. Obviously, Snell's the guy, right, that's left the big name. But this guy's name keeps popping up. And, um, <clears throat> look, he, the way he was put out of baseball was strong accusations. That's now passed, I guess. He's free and clear of the, those, as far as I know, Tom. Kind of know where I'm leaning here. And we're talking Trevor Bauer. He had pitched in Japan last year. Is a team going to take a shot on a guy like this who he's, you know, you slot him, he comes back in, Tom, he's not a number five guy in your rotation. You're going to be able to put him up towards the top. Does somebody take a chance? And does one of the bigger teams take a chance on him? Cause I don't think it serves a purpose. If the Pittsburgh pirates bring Trevor Bauer back, that, that's not the point, right? So he's going to be effective with one of the big, big guns here in major league baseball. Maybe Tim, I, I don't know. I mean, for all the good that we remember Bauer being, he's 33 years old now. He hasn't pitched a Major League Baseball in two years. He's a guy with clear, we'll say, demons, you know, following him, at least bad juju, right? I don't I don't know if a team is – I don't know if a team that is in contention is going to take a chance on him now. You mentioned the Pirates. A team like the Pirates, a team like Colorado, a team that's desperate for pitching probably will take a shot on him right now. But do you really want to go out there and mix things up today? No, I don't want to get into a bidding war for Trevor Bauer. So Bauer might be a guy that doesn't sign until June when injuries hit a team, unless he signs with a team that is a fringe contender or really not a contender. 
Anything you want to touch on real quick as we close this super Sunday night up? Well, what about your what about Cody Bellinger, Tim? Um, apparently, they wanted to sign Cody Bellinger. They wouldn't come to two hundred million. They are a name that's been linked to Trevor Bauer. They are a name that we have known forever that they need starting pitching, and they refuse to pay for starting pitching. They just lost Shohei Otani. They've made some nice, interesting moves. Why not go give Snell the money? Give Bellinger the money. Why won't they go and go get one of these uh, premier free agents? Oh, I'm I'm 100% behind that. Being the also being an Angels fan, I think at this point, whatever the, whatever they look, we we you and I both agreed that what they did with their bullpen, which was a a huge problem for us, we, we agreed there were some nice moves there, right? But make a if you're at this point, make a splash, right? Make a splash. If you're not going to win it with the arms, win it with the bats, and Bellinger is going to provide some some oomph there to to surround Trout with. But if you're going to go all in, Tom, just just do it and bring Snell in anyways. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? It doesn't work out, and at this point, it's not working out anyways. So just just go go all in, right? I mean, what what is what's stopping you other than Moreno being cheap? I don't I don't get it. Yeah, the last report that I read. Is Bellinger wants um, two hundred million for uh, what was it like eight years or something like that? He wants like seventeen, eighteen million dollars a year. I, I don't look. I don't think Bellinger's ever going to have replicate his MVP season, but that's fairly reasonable, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it is. I worry about the Blake Snell injury, but if you're the Angels and you are desperate every year for pitching, I mean, you are desperate for pitching. I think they got to unload. That, that should have been, yeah, and you and I had discussed that right when free agency started was that Snell's ridiculous asking price. But if you're the Angels, you have to consider it, and I think they still should be considering it, but I'd, I'd, who knows, man. Bellinger, I would do just – Bellinger's a fan favorite, Tom, and to put him out there with Trout, that, that, that's a nice combo to have there. I'd, either, either way you look at it, so I don't By know. By the way, where's, where's little Stevie Cohen? He was going to come in here and he was going to, he was going to buy everyone. Yeah. Steve Cohen was going to change baseball. Steve Cohen was going to embarrass the Yankees in their own city. Steve Cohen was, was going to come in here like billions, like, you know, Axelrod and show everybody up. Where is he? He's not even paying Alonzo. They, they should be getting Snell. They should be getting Bellinger and they should give the bag to Alonzo. And now all of a sudden you take the Mets seriously. Where, where are you, Steve Cohen? What are you doing? Working on crypto out there? Joke. That's what he is, man. He's a joke. Uh, well, the, the GameStop guys really got him scrambling, I think. Yeah, they did, right? <laughs> All right, Tom. Tell everybody about Tom Barton Sports and your busy week coming up. I know you got some radio doing. you got a podcast. Lots going on as the new work week begins. Well, I gave out my numbers last night, and I'll give them out again here. 66% in the month of January for the overall record. 67% now. On the year in college basketball, I am crushing college basketball to likes <laughs> that you've never seen. Jump on board right now. I have been so hot in January. Overall, that's with every sport. And ridiculously crushing in college basketball. You sign up today. You get 30 days of service. And I'm going to give you an extra week. Every single thing that I give out, that includes the Super Bowl. Every Super Bowl prop I give out. All of the games, the game, the total, everything I give out for the Super Bowl, everything I give out in college basketball, NHL, NBA, all of it, 
at TomBartonSports.com. All right, Tommy. Next show will be Saturday night, 10 o'clock. The Heat Wave Sports Super Bowl preview show. It's going to be a fun one, so I can't wait to, to have you chime in, of course, with all the guys, the uh, the Chris Wins, the Brian Feldmans of the world. I'm extending an invite to our buddy, Matt Visca. Love to have him in. He did the, the uh, free pick contest with us as a guest. Love to have his thoughts on the Super Bowl as well. So I'll be sending out that mass text a little bit later this week, Tommy, but that's when we'll talk again, my man. All right. Have a good one, everybody. The best show of the year coming up next. For Tom Barton, Angel, Tim Ungles, we have a great sports week. We'll talk to you Saturday night for the E-Wave Sports Super Bowl preview show, 10 o'clock, right here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Good night. Good night.